I've got a great message for you, and, but I'm going to, I'm aware of time, so I'm going to go fast for the entree, get to the meat, and give you the dessert. I just want you to remember the words to that song, No Longer Slaves to Fear, I Am a Child of God. I hope that rings through your head this week. I want to just start just with a, a quick story that I read, um, which really proves the point of my message today. In 1838, on the island of Jamaica, a man named William Nibs gathered 10,000 slaves for a praise gathering. They were celebrating the new Emancipation Proclamation Act that would abolish slavery on the island. And history tells us that they built a coffin and inside the coffin they put uh, chains and fetters and handcuffs and slave clothes and anything that related to slavery, whips, and they buried it and they... Uh, made a grave and buried it in the ground. And at the stroke of midnight, they all shouted, the monster is dying. And at the end of the um, 12 strokes, they all cried together, the monster is dead, the monster is dead, let us bury him. And 10,000 voices celebrated and praised the end of slavery. So it would have been an amazing celebration if you can imagine that. But the tragic side of the story is that there were pockets of other slaves on the island who didn't know about the new Emancipation Proclamation Act. Because they didn't know, they continued to serve their masters for many, many years. And their former masters successfully kept the news from them as long as they could. So by law, they had been de declared free and did not have to be slaves anymore. But however, the ignorance of that truth kept them in bondage, and probably some for the rest of their lives. Now we can say, well, what an injustice, that's really terrible, and it is. But you know the same thing's happening with us today, that we are kept, not all of us, some of us have had greater revelation than others, but we are kept in bondage from the truth by the master deceiver, Satan. He's kept the truth from us through lies and deception. See, the truth is, and we know it, that Satan has been defeated and our sins have totally been forgiven and paid for at the cross. We are no longer slaves. We've been adopted as, as sons and daughters into the family of God. We're not working for freedom and victory. We're working from a place of freedom and victory. So the truth is, though, that but like the Jamaican slaves, when this truth is not always a part of our reality. We have wrong mindsets about God, strongholds of thinking that we've grown up with because of circumstances in our life, because of the environments and cultures that we've been brought up in. I grew up in a church and I had a good, strong foundation of biblical principles and biblical knowledge, but I wasn't aware of the Father heart of God, which really is a bit of an oxymoron. How can you know the truth, read the word, and yet not know the Father heart of God? I was under a confusing mixture of, of legalism and law. And more often than not, it was the law that oversh overshadowed grace. I learned very quickly that as long as you were seen to be doing the right thing, you were okay. As long as you contained your sin and nobody saw it, then you were doing well. So it was all appearance management and performance. And we were taught that the gifts weren't for today, that they seized the time when the Bible was written, that the gifts seized after that, and that they weren't available to us. So we didn't operate in the gifts, 
and we were told that anyone who spoke in tongues or did operate in the gifts were deceived and it was a sign of the rise of apostasy of the last days because those um, Satan would deceive Christians and the ones who were speaking in tongues were deceived. So you can imagine there was fear in, in my life as well as a lot of law. So I was powerless as a Christian, fearful and judgmental of other people. So just to show that religions and, and traditions and wrong theology can blind us to the truth about God and keep us slaves. You know, I even thought up until my early 30s that on, when I came to the uh, judgment seat that my life would be played up on the big screen and that everyone would see it and that Jesus would excruciatingly point out every detail of what I'd done for everyone else to see. And that is not the way that a loving father treats us. Verses like, as far as you, uh, the north is from the west or the east is from the west, I have to get my geography right. Um, your, I, I will remember your sins no more. So why is he going to play them up on a big screen? But for 30 years of my life, I believed that. I wasn't actually aware that I believed it, but when someone pointed it out, it was a part of my subconscious thinking. I also looked at God through a lens of being distant and emotional because I grew up in a household where um, a lot of love and affection was not displayed. My father in particular was awkward with um, love, was awkward with emotions, was awkward with affection. And so we didn't really see that. We weren't given words of endearment and affirmation. So I saw God as stern, judgmental, arms folded, a disciplinarian, a judge, and that he was dis often disapproving of me and disappointed. You know, if we don't get a proper view of God, we'll never have a proper view of, of ourselves. So it's the, the only power that the enemy has over us is the lies that we believe, is the footholds that we give him. My thoughts are often that God can't be trusted. I'm not good enough. He's holding back from me in some way. And we've heard that straight from the very beginning of time with Adam and Eve, where Satan convinced them that God was holding back from them and that they had to take things into their own hands because this beautiful God who walked with them in the cool of the day in intimate relationship actually could not be trusted. And so they fell to that deception and they took things into their own hands and they began thinking like an orphan. And that's where orphan thinking comes from, straight from the master orphan himself, Satan. He was an orphan from the beginning when he decided that he was going to rebel against God and did not want to accept the fatherhood of God. He was, he was an anointed cherub in the realm of worship, but his pride made him turn away from God and the fatherhood of God. So what's your story? What lies did you grow up with? As I was talking to you, I'm, I'm sure that you could think of things that you've believed as well all this time, even in your subconscious, and you actually need to talk with people to get those lies out, to have those lies exposed and to realise what you're actually believing. Adam and Eve believed the lie and they became orphans in their thinking. And orphan thinking is where we don't see God as a father, we feel like we're on our own, we feel like we have to lead our own life, we, we become self-centred, we have to do it all ourselves. So the spirit of this world is by default an orphan spirit. But from the day 
that we were separated by the Father heart of God. God has been working to reconcile us back to himself through Jesus. Let me just read to you from Galatians 4 from the Passion Translation. But when the set time had come, God sent his son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law, that we might receive adoption to sonship. Because you are his sons. God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, the spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but God's child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir also. But through deception... Satan has worked diligently in all of our lives to try try and program our minds to feel unworthy and to feel unable to walk in the truth of who we are. So like the prodigal son, we end up in a pig pen, a pig pen of stinking thinking. Now you might be thinking, I know the story of the prodigal son. He was really rebellious and that's why he ended up in a pig pen. And you can think of all the things that he probably did to end up in that pig pen. I'm not that rebellious. I'm not like the prodigal son. I mean, I haven't done all that he would have done. Squandered my my inheritance. Lived loosely, lived wildly. I, I haven't done that. Well, let me show you through the parable of the prodigal son how rebellion can be in our own heart and cause us to still live like orphans and slaves in our thinking. But more importantly, let me show you how the heart of our Father always wants to bring total restoration. Let me just quickly start with the first few verses of the prodigal son. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. And not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and there squandered his wealth in wild living. And after he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country and he began to be in need. Rebellion. The son was already a member of the father's household. He was in relationship with the father. And he had all the benefits of a son, like we do. But for some reason, he didn't recognize the loving heart of the father or appreciate or value him, and he rejected his love. He became self-centered, and he rejected the father in exchange for the balance of his inheritance. He felt God was holding back from him. Where have we heard that before? He thought he knew how to run his life better. This is what separation from God does. When we don't accept the Father heart of God and doubt who he, says, who he says we are, we take control of our own lives and we put distance between God and ourselves. That's rebellion. See, to get the full revelation of this parable, you have to understand that we've all been the prodigal son. That at some point, our flesh has resisted God. Maybe even the last week. And resistance is rebellion. So you might think, well, that's harsh. Like, I'd rather that you said we've been a bit disobedient or we've been a bit naughty. No, when we move away from God in our thinking and reject his love towards us and his sonship because we, we think we're not worthy and we think we can do it ourselves and we have to strive and perform, that's rebellion. Yeah. 
any area of our life where we reject the true nature and goodness of God and his leadership, we are in rebellion. It's the work of the flesh. It's stinking thinking. It means that we're doubting God's truth, that we're living in unbelief and believing the lies of the enemy. Now, I'm not saying this to condemn you because there's no condemnation in those, those in Christ Jesus because he's brought, he's paid for all our sins at the cross. But I'm saying this to locate you, to find out where you are in your relationship with God and in your, in, in your thinking. Has your thinking distanced you from the Father heart of God without you even realising it? Because sometimes we think that that sort of thinking, I'm not worthy, I'm unacceptable, I'm ugly, I'm fat, I'm not good enough, um, I, I, I can't keep up with the world standards. We just think that's us and that's normality and that, that's how we're always going to be. That's not you. That's not your thoughts. That's the thoughts of the enemy. And when you take hold of those thoughts, that's rebellion. And so I came to a revelation, even doing this in this message, how rebellious I've been towards God in my thinking. But the good thing about that is because I know I've been rebellious, I can do something about it. And I can draw back to the Father heart of God. Because it's when you don't know when you're in rebellion that you're going to end up in a pig pen. And an important point that you've got to remember here is the father had already forgiven his son for his rebellion. Otherwise, he would have never let him go. He's already forgiven him. The reason he let him go is because he wants intimate relationship with us. He doesn't want us to, um, to have pretense and just perform and pretend. If that's the way you feel, son, you go and work it out for yourself. And when you, when you want to come back, I'll be here. And that's how God treats us. He's always there for us with open arms. But he's going to let us take our own road. He's not going to control us. So not long after that, the younger son got together all he had. He set off for a distant country and squandered his wealth. So who knows what he got up to? I mean, the mind boggles, doesn't it, when we think about what he could have, could have got up to. Because any time there's a vacuum in our lives, because we're not connected to the Father heart of God, that brings a vacuum then we're going to try and fill it with something else. So we're going to look for comforts to fill it with. So we're going to look for alcohol, drugs, food, relationships, money, greed, power, uh, appearance management, success, climbing the ladder, success in sport, idolising other people, becoming emotionally dependent on other people. We're going to look for other things to fill that vacuum or that distance that we've created between God, between the Father heart of God and ourselves. So after he'd spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country and he began to be in need. He was looking for comfort somewhere else, realised he wasn't getting it there and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. So the prodigal son ended up in a pig pen. He had hit rock bottom. So rebellion led to him hitting rock bottom. And this is the depth of misery that sin can bring us to. And it's the depth of misery that stinking thinking can bring us to. We can be living in a pig pen and sitting here in church every Sunday because we don't realise what our thinking is doing to us. And I want you to notice when it says he was in need... A good idea right then and there, and this is a key for us, 
is to go back to the Father. When you know you're in need, you go back to the Father. But he went looking for others to help. And how often do we do that? When we distance ourselves from God and in need, instead of going straight to God, we talk to other people first. We talk to other people about our problems. I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but you need to be going to God as well. You need to be talking to God. And you need to share with other people what God is telling you and encourage them as well. But he went to other people. He talked to the wrong people. He got the wrong advice. He sought out the wrong comforts. So even though Babe and Wilbur are portrayed as cute pigs, pigs are really smelly. Pigs are stinky. They're dirty. They scavenge. Anything they come into contact with, they consume slops and putrid food and insects and their own feces. They are quite disgusting. And I could tell you a few bit more, but I won't. But really, when you think how disgusting that is, the pig pen is really a picture of the demonic realm. A dark, putrid, horrible, smelly place away from the light, love and intimacy of God. That's what a pig pen is. That's the picture of the pig pen. And I believe the citizen of that country that hired him was also a demon. It's a picture of a demon who manipulated him and led him to believe that the pig pen was the only place he could live. That was the only place left for you, the pig pen. And I can imagine that all the demons, the familiar spirits in there, were convincing him to wallow in that pig pen and have a pig pen pity party. So when we lack identity, we succumb to this controlling spirits around us and we take on their identity because that's what we're looking. We're looking to fulfill our identity. So he would have been experiencing a myriad of feelings in that pig pen, feelings of self-pity, regret, bitterness, shame, anger, condemnation, guilt, jealousy, envy, unbelief, doubt, fear, being the victim blaming others for his circumstances, wallowing in the mud and dirt of lies spoken over him by these demons and then rehearsing them over and over in his head. That sounds really bad. But, you know, we can do that. We can do that same thing. We don't want to think of ourselves as guilty, jealous, envy, unbelief, but those thoughts go through our head because that's the enemy's plan to program our thinking into not trusting and believing in the heart of God and not believing that that we're good enough. So we need to be aware of his plans because it's a battle, as as you know, it's a battle in our mind. And we're not always in that pig pen because of stereotypical things that we would think of with the prodigal son. Oh, well, he got into drugs and sex and pornography and all that sort of stuff. That's why he's in the pig pen. No, we can be in the pig pen of stinking thinking. If we start thinking in the wrong thoughts and don't go straight to Father God with them, we're going to end up in a pig pen. And I've been in that pig pen and probably not that long ago. Thoughts of I'm not valuable, I'm not worthy, God doesn't love me as much as others, God's forgotten me, I'm ugly, I'm a failure, I'm not good enough, things are never going to change for me, I've missed the boat, and the list goes on. And these are thoughts, as we know, that exalt themselves against the knowledge of God. And the Passion passion Translation calls them deceptive fantasies and lies, arrogant attitudes that are raised up in defiance of the true knowledge of God. Because sometimes we think that our 
lack of self-worth and I don't feel good is like, oh, well, I'm just, I'm just so humble. I just don't feel good about myself. That's pride because you're not believing what the word of God says. You think you know better. So that's pride. Our thoughts of, of low self-esteem and, and, and of ugliness and failure and everything like that, that's actually pride because we're not believing God. See, you may have never thought of yourself like the prodigal son that you could be actually lost in a pig pen like even in the last six months, even in the last week. But lots of things can drive us there. Betrayal of friendships, financial problems, marriage problems, comparisons, things I talked about before. They cause us to drift in our thinking, to wallow in a pig pen and we marinate in it. And it comes out of every pore in our skin when we talk to other people. So there was a prodigal son, far away from the father heart of God who loved him, wallowing in that pig pen. So how did he get out of the pig pen of stinking thinking? How did he get out of it? Because we can have stinking thinking, but like I said before, we go straight to the father and ask him to show us the truth and we get rid of it. Or we keep going with it and we end up in a pig pen. So if we are in the pig pen, how do we get to that place when we're no longer thinking like slaves, but we're walking in our God-given authority as sons and daughters of the king? So we've had rebellion and we hit rock bottom. So I'm talking about ours here. So we're going to renew the mind. Because the next verse says, when he came to his senses. How many times would you like people to come to their senses? Have you thought, oh my gosh, I just wish they'd come to their senses? But we need to come to our senses. He's saying, how many of my father's hired servants have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will go back to my father's house and say, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So the lost son came to himself. He began to look at his father and he began to remember the goodness and the blessings there. He began to remember how good it was under the covering of his father. And he remembered how much food and wealth was there. And he remembered probably the value and love that he had there, the kindness of his father and his position as a son. So he spoke to himself. So it's not silly talking to yourself. We need to talk to ourselves all the time. I remember um, before mobile phones, or maybe they were just before they were, well, I'm telling my age now. But maybe when they just came out, I remember sitting next to a guy at an at a, um, intersection and he was talking away to himself and I'm thinking to myself, oh, he's a bit of an idiot. But I realised now, he was probably a Christian. He was probably praying. He was probably declaring things over himself. He was talking to himself. I do that all the time now. And I've just learnt not to worry about what other people think of me when I am driving in the car. So when we're in the... In the, when we are in this pig pen of stinking thinking, we need to stop listening to the voices of other people because that's what the prodigal son would have been doing. He would have been in that pig pen and listening to all the demons around him talking. We need to stop listening to the voices of other people and say, talk to the hand. And we need to start talking to ourselves. We need to look in the mirror of God's word. How many of you, when you look in the mirror in the morning, and you've been looking in the mirror for a long time, how many over a long time of years. How many of you, or put your hand up if you forget what you look like. <laughs> One or two. You see, 
we know exactly what we look like. I know exactly what I look like in the mirror. I don't always like what I see, but I just declare over myself that God loves me no matter what I look like, no matter every wrinkle that I start to find, and no matter what, God loves me and he loves my face and he loves my body. And so every day when I look in the mirror, I declare that. The thoughts come up, the stinking thinking, but I declare who I am in God. Now, that's what we're supposed to do with the Word of God. We, look, we treat the Word of God like a mirror and we look in that mirror and we read who God says we are. We read who we are in that mirror. And then when we close that mirror and go out for the day, we don't forget what we've read. It's marinate, it should be marinating in our heads. And that's what helps us to renew our mind. But for a really, really long time, I'd look in that mirror of God's Word think, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Close it, walk away and totally forget what it said and let myself again wallow in stinking thinking. And this takes discipline. It's not, well, I just can't do it because it's really hard. Actually, you can do it. If you really want to, you can. If you really want to change your thinking, you can. But it does take discipline. But God has given us the power of the Holy Spirit in us to change our thinking. That's why he's there to help us to become all God's called us to be. So we call on that power of the Holy Spirit. And that's what the prodigal son would have done when he came to his senses. He would have, call, he would have called on the power of the Holy Spirit in him. That's what we need to do. Come to our senses and call on the power of the Holy Spirit. You see, orphan thinking or stinking thinking or slave thinking can't be cast out. That would be great. And I remember many times in my journey back to God where I thought... I just need this to be delivered of this demon. I just want a deliverance and then I'll be fine. It doesn't happen that way with orphan thinking. It's not a spirit that's got to be cast out. It's the spirit of this world. It's how the world thinks. But it's not a spirit that's in us that we can just say, nick off hairy legs. It's something that we have to shift. It's a mindset. It's strongholds that we have to shift in our thinking. And it might start as just chipping away, chipping away, chipping away. But you have to start somewhere and you have to push it out of your thinking. We've got to go to that secret place with God where we know that he's listening to us even though we don't feel it. We've got to, we've got to declare that he is. We have to, by faith, receive the fact that he is listening to us. I go into this place where it's behind, beside a stream in my thinking it's a lovely, quiet, serene place and there's always a bench there and Jesus is sitting there and I always imagine him with his beautiful, compassionate, loving eyes because Jesus reflects the heart of the Father. And so I'm sitting with Jesus and I'm talking to him and I see his love reflected back to me and that's why we go to the secret place. We have to use our imagination. We use our imagination for the wrong things, worrying about what's going to happen and my kids not home, if they've been involved in an accident, and our mind goes all over the place with the wrong things, use your imagination for the right things. Read the Word of God, see what He says about you, and sit and talk to Jesus and hear those words coming from Jesus' mouth to you as He looks at you with loving, compassionate eyes and as He says to you, I don't... It's not your circumstances that define you. It's not what's happened to you in your past that defines you. It's not what you look like that defines you. It's who I've called you to be. It's, you're my son, you're my daughter, you're my child. That's what defines you. The spirit in you gives witness to you that you are my child. And so if you're not looking in the mirror of God's word, if you're not sitting in that secret place, you're not going to know who you are. So you have to do that. It's discipline, but you have to do it. And as you do it more and more, you become so aware of the love of God in your life, you don't even want to miss that secret place and you want to read his word every day. And we've got to stop the blame game. There's no way that that 
prodigal son would have got out that pit if he hadn't realised that he has to stop blaming. Because otherwise he would stay in that pit and listen to everyone else going, yeah, it was their fault, yeah, and they did that, and yeah, and that happened to you. And I know terrible things have happened to people. I know that. But the thing is, we have to stop playing the blame game. We have to get into God's presence and ask God for healing and ask God to show us how to forgive so that we can take responsibility for our own lives because that's what we need to do. We can't expect someone else to pull us out of that pit. We have to climb out of that pit, out of that pig pen. And it's not easy because mud sucks you back in. Mud, when you try and pull your foot out of mud, it's trying to suck you back, back in. But God has given you the strength to do that. We've probably all spoken to people like this. I've, I've spoken to people who you talk to them and, and they've got a victim mentality of orphan thinking. They're saying all the things that's wrong with them, but I know God loves me and I know I'm moving forward in him, but they did this and I lost my job and, and, and that friend betrayed me. And, and then you talk to them three months later. I know God loves me, but they did this to me and I lost my job and that friend betrayed me. You see them two years later. I know God loves me, but they did this to be, and my friends betrayed me. And, and, and God loves them, but he wants them to see the truth. They have to want to, to see the truth. They have to want to move forward. If we hold on to blaming other people, we're never going to move forward in God. So the next thing that he did, he repented. So he renewed his mind and he repented. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he spoke to himself. He said, I've done the wrong thing. He repented and he humbled himself. And we heard the verse said before, God resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. So God resists you when you're proud, but continually pours out his grace to you when you're humble. You see, most of us, when we read this story, we relate with the son. We believe that our behaviour has made us unworthy to come into God's presence. So we, we think, I'm just going to go back and I'm going to beg for forgiveness. And I'm going to say, just God, I just want to be in your kingdom. Just treat me as a lowly servant until I can work my way back up again. Because that's how orphan thinking goes. And that's what he would have thought. And we probably feel the same when we've, we, we've realised how far we've fallen. But God... And we're going to see God's response in a moment. So he repented and he changed direction and he made his decision to make his way back. Now, I can imagine as he began to climb out of that pig pen, I can imagine the pigs in there, the demons in there, saying to him, where are you going? They're not going to accept you back at home. And anyway, you stink. How, how can you go back looking like that? And you're used to being here and this is a comfortable place and... and Remember Kylie Minogue? Better the devil you know? That's what they would all be saying. Like, stay here with us. This is comfortable. But he made a decision. Enough is enough. And like I said before, how desperate are we to change our thinking? He realised that true fulfilment was only going to come when he went back to his father. He'd lost all confidence in his position as a son. And so probably on the way back... He was probably trying to scrape off the mud so he could look a bit better. He was probably trying to find water holes that he could hop into to try and clean himself up before he got to the father. But look what happened. The next R is restoration. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. And he ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. 
So his father, to have seen him coming from a long distance, must have been watching and waiting every day. He didn't have a servant watching and waiting and say, oh, oh, look, he's coming. Oh, look, I saw him. He's coming. No, it was the father that saw him coming. It was a father. So he'd been watching and waiting every day. And he saw him from a really long distance. So he ran to him. He picked up his robes, which is not um, dignified in those days to do that, to pick up your robes and show your bare legs and run. But that's what the father did. And the father, the son would not have, ex- have expected that. He would have expected the father to go, ah, you're back. <laughs> Knew you'd see see the light, knew you'd come back, well, better get those clothes off you, quick, get inside before anybody sees you. That's what we expect and that's what we've experienced from earthly fathers, from earthly people in, in authority. So his father throws his arms around him and kisses him. He sweeps him up in his arms, the Passion Translation says, and kisses him over and over with tender love. Now, remember, remember he would have had stinking thinking coming out of his paws, like smelling like pigs coming out of his paws, feces under his nails and between his toes. And yet the father just lavished him with love and kissed him. See, this is what God does to us. We can come into his presence with all our stinking thinking, with all the, the wrong things that we've done. And God just doesn't stand there and go, oh, go, and, go and get yourself cleaned up and then when, you, when you're ready, come back to me and we'll talk. No, he embraces us and he kisses us tenderly and he says you're back you're back and then this is what the father did the son said while the father was doing that kissing him and hugging him the son said father i have sinned against heaven and against you i'm no longer worthy to be called your son but the father he ignored all that he he embraced him and welcomed him back and he said Bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a finger on his, put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. So he gave him the best robe, which we know is the robe of righteousness. So. All over his stinking, smelling thinking, he clothed him in righteousness. And no, that is not who you are. You are not a sinner. You are a saint by nature because I have adopted you as my child. So here is my robe of righteousness that is over you. Then he gave him a ring, which was culturally in those times with the Jews, a family emblem of authority, giving the son the authority to transact business in the father's name. So it's a token, and for us, it's a token seal of the Holy Spirit. And Ephesians tells you that. I won't read it, but you can read it yourself. Ephesians 1 verse 14, that we are sealed by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the ring is a, is a token of. So you, do you get this? Do you get it? He's looking like he's from a pig pen. He's carrying a ter- terrible stench. The father didn't wait till he cleaned himself up. He embraced him straight away. He dressed him in royal robes and he gave him the ring. And immediately, not let, prove yourself first, I'm giving you this robe and I'm giving this ring now, sort of go and act like my son and then, and then I'll restore you back. No, he restored him back immediately. Immediately. Everything else was Washed away, he was restored immediately. And then he gave him sandals because uh, slaves were barefoot in those days. So when you had shoes, you were declaring that you weren't a slave. 
And then he had a feast. He told everyone to prepare a great feast. And do you notice that when the son did come back, that the father didn't say, well, I love you and that, but look, quick, quick, let's get your change before anyone else sees you. Let's get your changed and clean because I, I want to celebrate you. No, he called his whole household together and said, everybody come, here's my son. And look how terrible he looked. Here's my son, he's back. I want you to all know how happy I am about that. And then he put the robes on and the ring on him and everything. He wasn't ashamed that his son came back like that. You can imagine an earthly father might go, oh, quick, before the neighbours see, get changed. I don't want them to know that you've been down doing all that sort of stuff. Quickly get changed. He wanted everyone to know that my son was lost, but now he's found. He wants everyone to know, you might have been in stinking thinking, I don't care. Come back to me because I want to sh restore back to you your full sonship again. See, the father wanted to relate to the son from the basis of intimate relationship and not from the basis of you have to prove yourself first. So it's only in the context of intimate relationship that our identity in God can be revealed fully and can be fully formed. It's only living in intimacy with the father that we can truly understand how he sees us. You can't change yourself before you get to God. Go to God and let him transform you in partnership with you. Work together to, to become all that he's called you to be. And the feast was a celebration. He wanted his son to know that there was no shame, no guilt and condemnation in God's presence. There is no shame and guilt or condemnation in God's presence. There is always feasting and celebration. Psalm 16 verse 11. Don't forget this. You will make known to me the path of your life, of path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures evermore. That's in the presence of God. That's where he wants us to be. Church, we have to have faith to receive this. We say, oh, I don't really feel like that. And I'll go back to read my Bible and I'll really try. I'm sorry, but I've been like that. I'll try. I'm going to really try. No, receive it by faith. That is who you are now. That is you. You don't have to feel like it, but you declare it. That's who you are now. Because as you receive it by faith... That is when you begin to see it outworking in your life. For a, long time, I, for a long time, I didn't do that. I didn't receive it by faith. I tried to work it out. Oh, yeah, well, I must be. Am I? But it wasn't until I started to declare it over my life. I told you about the song I sing over myself, to declare it over myself, that this is who I am. And as I began to do that, I began to see how God is working in my life. I began to see his love for me. I began to see the things that he did for me. And he's been doing that for a long time. I never saw it because I didn't have the faith to receive it or believe it. So church, I want you to declare after me because I want to leave you with this. Because we need to declare things over our lives to know who we are in our identity. You might be in a pig pen, but you go straight back to the Father. This is who you are. This is who you are today. You don't have to be in that pig pen of stinking thinking anymore. This is who you are today. So I want you to repeat this after me. I am a child of God. I am a child of God. I'm saying it loud, so you have to say it loud too. I am not defined by my feelings or the opinions of others. I am not defined by my circumstances or successes or failure. 
You have to say it out loud because when you say it soft, the enemy goes, mm, yeah, you're saying it, but you don't really believe it. You have to say it out loud. I, have a cl- I, am, I am hidden in Christ. I am justified by faith. I have a clean conscience. Don't say this, but even if you're having stinking thinking right now because the enemy's going, eh, 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 this is not true, you still have a clean conscience because that is who you are. I am God's precious child and he's my father. He created me this way and he is pleased with me. I am created for his glory. I have the Holy Spirit and His power is living in me. I am seated in places of authority. I have authority over all sickness, disease and demons. Jesus said, signs and wonders will follow me wherever I go. That's you, church. That's who you are. And you keep declaring that. And no matter what stinking thinking the enemy tries to bring your way, you push back on that and you say, no, that's not who I am. And don't worry about how long it takes. I mean, obviously, the shorter the better. But don't get disheartened. Keep chipping. Just keep chipping at it. And remember, if you do go back to that pig pen, the father is always there with open arms. He's never going to say, oh, well, look, that's been one too many times. I'm sick of that now. No, he is always going to embrace you with open arms. He's always going to be there with love and compassion. His love is never failing and never ending. He is always going to be there. He will never leave you or never forsake you. Amen.